0: Welcome to this episode of the Heavy Mental Hour with your host, Jonathan Vlad the Impaler Sherman, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, that's me, and Bad Uncle Gary Klein, Licensed Clinical Social Worker. The Heavy Mental Hour is the only show that showcases real professionals talking in real people language about real heavy mental issues in a light-hearted, rocking, smart, funny and insightful way. This week, in an interview, Jonathan is answering 25 questions about addiction. The kicking tune you're listening to is appropriate to this topic, If You Don't Start Drinking by George Thorogood and the Destroyers. Now, George Thorogood and the Destroyers is once referred to as a great band, and when George Thorogood heard that, he's like, we're not a great band. I mean, a steak, that's gr- that's a great cut of meat, but we're more like a cheeseburger. And he thought, well, you know what? Cheeseburgers are pretty great, you know? So I guess, as far as cheeseburgers go, we're a good cheeseburger band. We're just not a great steak band. And I always appreciate his unpretent- unpretentiousness. He's just a relatable, down-to-earth, hard rocking kind of guy. So, anyway, here's the interview. Enjoy and like... All the songs we play, please go buy it at iTunes and check out all the other songs we feature in our intros at HeavyMentalHour.com.
1: Okay, so I just have to ask uh,
0: 25 questions for a health project
1: about
0: okay.
1: drugs. Okay. So, um, what are the top three reasons people start getting
0: drugs usually? There's a lot of different reasons uh, for sure, but a lot of it's just uh, experimentation, you know, just curiosity, right? Um mm-hmm. You know, other people are doing it, you hear things about it, um, so you're just curious. Uh, and then, uh, you know, certainly uh, part of that, another piece is the peer pressure that, you know, there's a lot of people who get into it, not necessarily because they want to, because they're afraid how they're going to look if they don't or if they don't fit in. And then, um, certainly another reason, a big reason, that people either get into it right at the beginning or they learn to stay in it right at the beginning is because of what it does for them. If they find it either helps them feel better, get away from pain or struggles or um, escape from uh, uh, pain or problems they don't know how to deal with otherwise and they start to accidentally find out, wow, not only does this feel good, it actually helps me cope better with my problems or at least that's what it feels like at the beginning. Uh, that's a really good question, and there's no uh, there's no really one answer to that. It's the answer, the best answer is, that quite honestly, it just depends. Um, some people it can take um, months; other people it can take years. It can take decades. Uh, it depends on each person's individual individual uh, nature, or how addicted they are. Addiction is something you kind of have to think about as being on a continuum, where. On the one on the one side, uh, there are people who are dealing with uh, substance abuse but aren't necessarily fully chemically addicted, and then there are those who are fully addicted. And some people that are addicted short term, some are addicted long term. So it can vary tremendously. Most uh, treatment programs will start with doing a 30 or a 60 day inpatient treatment program, but then they'll plan on doing um, you know three to six to 12 months of aftercare after that to keep the the treatment going. Most people when they're doing a treatment. Um, program, they, they have a long-term objective. And then one other answer to that is to get over an addiction that's kind of a little bit of a, a misnomer in that um, if, you're, if you're truly addicted to a substance, I mean, some people have substance abuse where they're not really addiction, addicted, they just have some problems with it. But if you're truly addicted, like you're an alcoholic or something like that, um, the addiction doesn't go away. You have that addiction your whole life. The question is, can you learn to control the addiction. So you'll have people sometimes who they've been in recovery. Um, you know, they take an alcoholic who's been in re- hasn't drank in fifteen years, but he still goes to his AA meetings, um, and he still says he's an alcoholic, even though he hasn't drank in that long period of time, because he knows that the addiction is still there, so he can't ever mess around with alcohol because the addiction is still there. And if he does, he'll relapse uh, because the addiction doesn't go away. So there's you can get over it kind of it's really not so much about getting over it's about learning how to stay in recovery and learn how to really work a program so that you don't fall back into it so it's kind of like if you think about it like an illness some let's say someone who has cancer they may go through periods of remission um, and periods where it comes back and recovery with addiction it's kind of the same idea is that we want to go into remission where it, we're not, it's not affecting us anymore um, but then we have to be very careful that we can relapse at any time if we're not careful. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are the most
1: common
0: drugs that people use? Um, that might really depend a great deal on um, location or what type of places people are. Some regions are going to have different areas. Um but I would say, just from my experience and what I've seen, it, you're going to be seeing alcohol, uh, marijuana, and, um, and uh, cigarettes or nicotine, um, simply because, uh, uh, or, or certainly prescription drugs. We're going to add a fourth in there. These are the ones that are most accessible that people can uh, get to the easiest. Now, you can get other drugs. It's not hard to get meth or cocaine or heroin or um, other things. Uh, hallucinogens but um, you know people can get alcohol as easy sometimes in their parents home or from a buddy really quickly or marijuana isn't hard to find and cigarettes are easy to access and prescription drugs you just have to find in someone's cabinet so it's usually the ones that are most used are the ones that are most accessible okay Okay. Um, is there a certain age that
1: most drug addicts are or is there like a wide variety?
0: Um, yeah very wide variety Um, however most drug addicts that I've ever worked with and um, whether it's in an inpatient or an outpatient setting uh, the very few of them became drug addicts as adults most of them started with just casual uh, party social drug use uh, when they were starting about age 15 or uh, 14 or 15 and so um, and certainly a lot of those kids who started using uh, just partied and got it was a phase and they got over it. But um, those that, that, that get addicted, and there's no way to tell whether you are going to get addicted, by the way, so it's kind of like Russian roulette. But those who get addicted, um, very few of them start a, a, as adults. They usually start in the teen years. That's why they make such a focus on trying to avoid um, substance abuse in the teen years because the brain and the body is so much more susceptible to addiction then than in later in life. And so but the age range of drug addicts, drug addiction can range wildly. So there's 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 no average age.
1: Mm-hmm. Um how do people quit? Are there programs?
0: Yeah, yeah, people quit a lot of different ways. There's definitely programs, the things that people think of most commonly when they think of a program, they think of rehab. And so that's where you're going into an actual residential facility where you live there for thirty or sixty days, um, and you have uh, you get counseling there, uh, educational classes, group therapy, family group therapy, um, and uh, you're basically kind of in a lockdown type of setting. So you're kind of removed completely from access to substances, and then some of those will. Um, allow for work release so you can still keep your job but then after you go to work you come right back and you attend your groups and your classes and your therapy In the in the evening and then you you sleep there um, at night so that's that's one of the most common forms that people think of but that's not the only one there's another one that's called IOP which stands for intensive outpatient um, type of program okay IOP intensive outpatient program and what they what that is it's a it's a you, you live in your own home, but you go to counseling uh, usually about five days a week and for several hours uh, of the day. So it could be four to six hours a day that you're going to counseling and doing groups and group therapy and things like that, and, but that would be an outpatient setting. And then other ways of dealing with addiction, a lot of people uh, will use a 12-step program, like. AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, or NA, Narcotics Anonymous, or MA, Marijuana Anonymous, those types of 12-step groups, um, where those are not led by professional therapists, there's called a peer support type of group, where there are other um, people in recovery who are helping support each other. Those groups don't cost anything. A lot of professionals like myself will do therapy with the, the addict, but also, uh, in, in strongly encourage or require that they also attend 12-step groups and so we kind of use a lot of these things in harmony with each other and then of course the other place that people will do uh, treatment is with someone like me in uh, what we call just an outpatient setting where I'm here in a private practice where they're meeting with me and uh, counseling once or twice a week um, either an individual or couple or family therapy um, maybe attending a class or group therapy so Usually there's different stages of these. Sometimes I'll work with someone initially who has an addiction and we'll work with them and realize that they actually need a lot more help than what I can provide for them here. And then we'll we'll send them to a rehab. And then after they get out of rehab, they'll continue here with me. They'll be involved in a 12-step group. And then as they continue to get stronger and recover more, then we start to slow down the treatment process. And then eventually we stop doing treatment, but they still continue going to their groups as part of their ongoing support.
1: Okay. Um, when talking to a drug addict,
0: what is one of their biggest regrets? Oh, yeah, great question. One of their biggest regrets is, oh man, so many, uh, the loss, I think. The loss of time, the loss of money, the loss of opportunities, the loss of trust, the loss of relationships, the loss of their reputation. Um, so many regrets, so many things that, you know, missed, missed uh, opportunities with kids or spouse or family that they can never have back again. And, um, so it's, uh, besides getting over the addiction, they're also dealing with a lot of emotional stuff because there can be a lot of depression and anxiety, um, and guilt and in fear dealing with all that loss and all the all the consequences that they have to deal with, whether they're financial consequences or legal consequences or loss of job consequences or divorce or custody or whatever. There's so many things that they're dealing with. It's not just getting over the addiction, it's learning how to deal with all the life issues and problems that were caused as well. Okay. Um what- Um, what do you do if you have a friend who does drugs is, one, we uh, become become knowledgeable. Some of the things that we've talked about today are good things for anybody to understand about addiction. Um, don't tell the person uh, things that are obvious that don't help, kind of the classic pat answers or cliched responses of, well, just don't do that, we'll just stop. Um, the addict has not only heard that a thousand times already, they said that to themselves and they've tried unsuccessfully. Many, many times to stop, but that's the whole point of addiction is that you can't just stop on your own. You really do need help. It's not a matter of just will and choice at this point. The addiction has taken over a lot of that power to have will or choice. And so it's important to become educated if we're going to help a friend or family member or loved one that we become educated about addiction, how they work, so that. so that we can give them good advice and good support. and we can we shouldn't try to do uh, the counseling for them. We shouldn't think that if we love them enough that that'll be enough to help them change. We have to understand that addiction works like an illness. You don't If someone has cancer or leukemia, you don't think, well if I love them enough, the, the illness will just go away. We realize they need treatment. And so we're going to encourage our friends or family members, you really need treatment. This is a serious problem. I love you. I'll do anything I can to support you, but you have to get help. It's not just talking to me isn't enough. I'll always talk to you, but talking to me isn't enough. You can't just keep denying it, you can't avoid it, you really need help, and I'll do whatever I can to help you get help, but you need help. Okay. Um,
1: what do you do as your offering
0: drugs? Well, um, there's there's the cliche response which is just say no and that is a good answer if you're already prepared I mean if you can ahead of time understand the problems with drugs um, and the effects they can have on you negatively and if you're if you're really prepared to say no I think it's really important to get yourself uh, um mentally and emotionally prepared for that moment not just say no but how am I going to deal with it when it's uncomfortable and there's a lot of pressure or I feel awkward, or I don't want to be the one left out, or I don't want to look like the person who's not with it, or whatever else. How do I, how do I say no? So sometimes, you know, we need to really, you know, know how to say no, not just say no, but how do I actually do it myself? Um, and uh, so yeah, if you can say no and walk away, uh, someone let's say if they're already using a little bit and they're offered drugs, it might be harder to say no because the person already knows that you're already involved with it. What I told a lot of the kids that I work with. Sometimes they've gotten in trouble or they've had friends who get in trouble and they don't want to get in trouble again So I say well just go ahead and, and blame blame your parents or blame your counselor or bl- uh, Blame your blame the the law or something else and say you know what man? I'd really like to but you know I've gotten in some trouble with the law and I just I, you know I can't I can't go there again. It is too much it's too much hassle And so I'm just gonna I'm not gonna use for a while and and when a kid says that to another kid they kind of go, yeah, okay, I get it, yeah, that's cool, and they'll kind of lay off on the pressure a little bit because, you know, a good number of the kids, not all, but, you know, at least a handful, I don't know what the percentage is, let's say a tenth of them, who are actively using have been busted at one time or another or will be busted or they know someone who's been busted, and so they understand it's a hassle. If you're just saying, hey, I don't want to use, they might tease you or give you a hard time, but if it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I've am been court-ordered, i got to go see this therapist now, and they're, like, drug-testing me, and... Or my probation officer is going to drug test me, and I just can't mess with it. So you guys have a good time, but I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to abstain and not go there. And that kind of sometimes gives the kids the courage uh, if they can kind of do a healthy type of blaming somebody else for why they're not going to use. Okay. Okay.
1: Uh, yeah. What percentage of people who do drugs die from it?
0: That is a good question, and it would—I uh, don't—I'll be honest, I don't have that statistic off the top of my head, um, but because uh, it depends really on what types of drugs and how often they're using and how what high-risk level they're using. But we, when I worked in rehab, we would always tell our clients is that if they don't stop using, they have three options. Okay, actually, excuse me. Uh, yeah, three options. Where they're going to be institutionalized or dead at some point. And institutionalized means they're either going to be institutionalized in treatment or institutionalized in jail. So jail, treatment, or they're going to end up killing themselves or somebody else, which would lead them back into uh, being institutionalized. So it's a it's a serious thing. There's a lot of um, the, the the thing that that really makes it difficult to know how many people die from drug use is that. Um, drug addiction often occurs in what's called a comorbid uh, condition where they're not just dealing with the drug addiction as their problem they're oftentimes dealing with drug addiction and mental health issues at the same time so we've got one problem here and one problem there so that's called comorbidity um, and so uh, let's say if someone's very depressed and we know that there's a high rate of suicide um, in the world and uh, you know caused by depression and if someone's dealing with, uh, you know, oftentimes they'll self-medicate to take care of that depression by using substances. And then if they kill themselves, was it because of the overdose or was it because of the depression or a combination of both? So it's a great number. You could probably Google a statistic on that, but uh, I'm sure the, the research and the numbers on that vary a great deal because there's a lot of things that we'd have to figure out why is that number this or that or the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Good question. Um,
1: what percentage of
0: people who do drugs receive a disease from it, like cancer or something? I'm sorry, how many people receive a disease from drug abuse? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know the percentage on that either, that would be another one just to, just to Google. But um, usually, uh, I mean some of the diseases you're going to get, like with uh, alcoholism, you can get cirrhosis of the liver which causes your, your liver to shut down, um, which is, you know, can cause you to die. Obviously smoking can cause, uh, you know, lung cancer or other, or throat cancer, other forms of cancer. Um, other things, you know, lots, um, most substances will cause, will wreak havoc on certain parts of your brain, which may not necessarily be specifically a disease, but it causes damage and loss of certain functioning. And, um, so the percentages on all of those are going to vary while, you know, very be very different according to the specific disease and the and the nature of the addiction. So that would be a lot much longer uh, answer that you could, you could just do some quick. If you needed those numbers for your interview, you could just Google those quickly. But those are some of the ones that we're looking at. Good question. Usually not. I was just having this conversation um, earlier this morning with a client who um, he's been working really hard to get um, off of uh, off of um, OxyContin, which is a, 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 a narcotic, a, a prescription uh, pain reliever, which he's been on pretty bad OxyContin and Percocets for a long time and really bad use, really bad withdrawals when he gets off of them. He's finally gotten to the point where he's been able to stay in recovery pretty, in a pretty stable fashion. He hasn't relapsed for several months. He's doing really, really good. And he was making the comment today is that, you know, I'm doing really good, but I'm not very happy. You know, there's, it's kind of, and I said, kind of boring, right? And he goes, yeah. And I said, what happens is as much as drug abuse and addiction can really mess up someone's life, there's a certain excitement to it. The highs are very high and very exciting. The lows and the crashes are horrible, but there's a big spike. Imagine like a huge roller coaster, the big highs and the climbs and the huge lows and big high, big low, big high, big low, big high, big low. When you start getting clean and sober and living a normal, stable life, there's just little bumps, little highs, little lows, and it's kind of not that exciting and the truth is a lot of people struggle in recovery because their life doesn't necessarily turn back to normal the normal they had before usually wasn't very good but it turns back to normal in a, a very boring kind of way and so they have to learn how to create a life that they can find peace and happiness and excitement without those crazy highs and without those crazy lows and so um and so what we, what we work on is, is trying to figure out, so instead of returning their life back to normal, we try to help them learn how to really create what we call a life worth living um, that has meaning to it and purpose. And even though it doesn't have the crazy highs and lows, what it starts to have is uh, once they learn how to live a, a boring, stable life, they start to realize that the, lo- the longer they, they live this boring, clean, stable life, they start to realize, oh, what they thought was boring, it wasn't actually boredom it was actually called peace. And they start to find peace and a depth of self and a depth of character. So the truth is, in a lot of ways, they end up becoming, even though they went through such hard things and they lost so many things, the truth is, in a lot of ways, they can also become better people because they've learned how bad life can be and they've learned to treasure and pre- and, and take better care of the life that they now have left and the life that they have before them. Okay. Okay. Surprisingly uh, nicotine cigarettes so when we look at when we look at things like uh, marijuana, alcohol, cocaine, heroin, heroin is one of the most addicting as is methamphetamines and nicotine is even more addicting than that. I've worked with heroin addicts where they've finally been able to kick heroin, which is tough to kick, let me tell you and they can't quit the nicotine. Um, cigarettes are just really hard to quit most most smokers who smoke hate smoking they really do they've tried to quit so many times and um, there's been a lot of research on which substances are more addictive and for what reasons and yeah so nicotine cigarettes is, is the most addictive and that surprises a lot of people because they think well wait a minute yeah but that's also the most legal yeah Yeah, good question. And um, like a lot of these questions, there's a lot of it depends answers as you've been finding out from me. Because um, anyone can be really dangerous and harmful if you're behind the wheel. And since most people are using drugs and at some point getting behind the wheel and it impairs the reaction time, um, any one of those, except nicotine, nicotine is probably the least immediately dangerous, although it's incredibly deadly in the long run. Um, because it doesn't impair your your, your driving ability, um, but when it comes to uh, uh, being incredibly harmful, of course, you know if you've ever seen pictures of meth addicts, you know um, if you haven't, it'd be a, a good gross thing to look up. You know, really chronic meth users, where their teeth are rotting out, they've got scabs all over their skins. They look, you know, a 20-year-old meth addict, you know, looks like you know she's 50, 60 years old. Um, you know it just wreaks havoc on the body and inside and out um, but uh, I you know cocaine can cause it, it, with all these it kind of depends how much you're using it too how much damage it's going to do you know I've seen people with rot ro- with completely rotted out noses where they actually don't have a nose all the cartilage in the nose has been rotted out from cocaine snorting um, certainly as I mentioned you know the damage of cirrhosis of the liver and um so many other things. You know, some people if they have if they take a hallucinogenic like acid or mushrooms, um, that can be very unpredictable whether they have a good trip or if they have a bad trip. I have one client um, who ended up uh, and you know he took some. They were having a, he was taking mushrooms and he ended up he woke up uh, naked in the in the desert, um, kind of basically dying of thirst and he didn't know how he got there. And uh, he almost died. And he's just, just a, if you met if you knew him, you'd be like, This is just a normal 16 year old kid, this isn't some like crazy stoner. So, another good question with a lot of different answers that could go with it. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: uh, how do drugs affect your learning? Um, it can, it can really stunt it a great deal, and it depends on. Uh, what kind of learning we're talking about. So the obvious answer to the learning is like our academic ability to learn and function. It can definitely impair our ability to concentrate. Some people uh, find that marijuana, if they have a hard time concentrating, like if they have ADHD, that some people find that it actually helps them concentrate better. Um, but uh, there's other types of learning uh, that occur, uh, such as social learning and emotional learning okay which of course affects our relationships and our lives very much so you'll you'll see as I mentioned a lot of people who become addicts first start using in their early teens like 14 or 15 and when you start using substances as a way of coping instead of dealing with your emotions what happens is you don't learn emotions and you don't learn how to deal with those complex part of the the struggle and frustration of adolescence is learning how to deal with complex emotions and complex relationships that's a huge part of learning in life and, when we, and it's hard enough when you do, when you, to deal with those complex emotions and relationships when you're clean and sober. Um, people who use, are, using, are using substances are dealing with that problem by avoiding it completely. And it's like if you avoid your math class or your physics class or your English class completely, you don't learn that stuff. And people check out of a lot of emotional and relational learning and they don't learn that stuff. And that's the stuff that's gonna actually affect their lives way more than any academic learning will. Because you can be really smart academically and have just train wreck relationships and train wreck emotions, because you never learned how to do those well. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: which is
0: worse, drugs or alcohol, and why? Um, well, and that's a, that's a good question, and it's a, it's a distinction a lot of people use because they always we always talk about alcohol and drugs or A and D, but the truth is. It's really not a correct distinction because alcohol is just another type of substance. Really, it's not about alcohol and drug abuse; it's about substance abuse. They're all—it's not alcohol and drug addiction; it's all just substance addiction. So, um, when you say which is worse, one way that we can define that is which is worse based on um, how addictive is one substance versus another. Okay. So they all have problems, but for example, when you ask that question, which is the most addictive substance, and I said nicotine, and I don't have the list in front of me, but you could look this up, but the least addictive out of these substances is marijuana, and then alcohol, and then it goes up higher, and then we get to heroin, and then we get to nicotine. So I wouldn't say alcohol or drugs. It's more of a question of which substance, alcohol just being one of many substances. Okay. Okay. both short-term and long-term? Uh, boy, good question. Uh, in boy, about probably every way you can imagine. It uh, tends to, uh, usually most people who are using alcohol and drugs, um, especially since most people are starting in the teen years, um, they have to use and not get caught. Of course, you have to lie and deceive and sneak and whatnot. So trust gets lost. Um, if I'm an adult and I'm using, I'm probably also, um, hiding and lying it too, unless it's something that is part of, you know, our relationship. There's certainly plenty of people who drink and use together. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> um, yeah, definitely the loss of trust is a really big one. It can create a lot of conflicts and arguments. Um, it can cause a great deal of, uh, financial problems in a family as people are, uh, um, Spending the money on the substance or the consequences of the substance um, either in you know buying it illegally or having to you know get it you know pay for a court fi- fines or fees if it's illegal stuff or if they're driving you know drunk driving they have to pay for those uh, tickets or consequences or court dates or attorney fees or whatever else and so it can put a um, since most people don't have a budget for dealing with their drug or alcohol problems it creates a huge financial strain on what most people already experience is having a tight budget to begin with so there's a lot of conflicts that occur over that um, and the loss of trust and so forth it can also affect um, you know uh, not that not that alcohol or drug causes violence it doesn't but it can bring out or loosen up violence or aggression or anger that somebody already has and makes them less inhibited so they show more of that coming out that a lot of teens keep a secret. I'm sorry, is it evidence? What do you mean is it evidence? Is it evident? Like, is it evident? Like, can people tell that you're doing drugs or is it like something? Oh, I nothing? see. Um, yes and no. Yes and no. So, I mean, most, mo- like for like with teenagers or most adults who use and they're hiding it, um, most are pretty good, have learned a lot of ways of covering it and hiding it. There's, uh, nowadays with YouTube and everything, there's lots of Lots of tutorials online of how to um, hide your stash, or how to cover up a smell of alcohol, or how to, or uh, marijuana in your room. How to um, hide things better? How to pass a drug test? There's a lot of tutorials um, that people can read up, and people within the alcohol and drug community of users will share tips and strategies with each other, and um, and uh, so uh, if you know what to look for. Um, like people like me, you know, drug uh, and addiction counselors or um, police officers or whatnot, they're going to look for certain telltale signs, either, of you know, eyes being red or pupils being dilated or, uh, you know, certain key smells. Some people don't even know what marijuana smells like, so they can't identify that. They'll say, the, you know, they'll say, what's that smell? And they say, oh, I was just burning some incense. But, you know, marijuana doesn't smell like incense, but if you don't know that. Or they'll say, oh, some friends were smoking, but it, marijuana doesn't smell like cigarettes. And, um, but if you don't know what you're smelling if you're a parent it's not evident at all if you know what to look for if you know what alcohol smells like and different substances look like or what are some of the behaviors there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, telltale signs um, whether it smells or how the body's responding or how they might be a little bit out of uh, balance or but there's other things too where if there's like a sudden drop in grades or erratic behavior or um, the person gets more isolated or starts hanging out with a different group of friends dramatically or um, change of uh, interactions with the family or any number of uh, changes in grades or behavior or whatever else so there's a lot of things to look for but I think most people don't know what to look for so I usually encourage um, family and friends to you know just take a few minutes on the internet and look at what is what are some common signs of uh, people using uh, substances in general but also specific substances have Oftentimes, specific telltale signs as well. Okay. Um, why do
1: most teens start
0: in the first place? Um, most start in the first place, as we were going back to, I think, one of your first questions: Why do people get, uh, you know, addicted? Um, most teens start in the first place. I think just, honestly, just out of uh, curiosity or uh, because other friends are doing it, and you know, you hear things, and it's just kind of like you want to do something fun and you know, quite honestly, most substances are fun to an extent or to a point. And, um, you know, it's fun. It's it's always just, just human nature. It's kind of fun to do the forbidden thing. It's kind of fun to do something that sometimes other people aren't doing or to do things that other people are doing so you can fit in. So there's the peer pressure aspect. There's the fun aspect. There's the curiosity. There's just the party mentality. There's the and then from that, it turns into, oh, it's also a good way to help me escape from my problems and whatnot. So that's how I, I would say most people get started. Okay. Uh, how
1: common are drugs in
0: Utah? Um, pretty, much, uh, pretty much as common as anywhere else. Um, in some ways, although that's not exactly true, I mean, we actually have uh, lower substance abuse rates than other states. We have um, higher mental health issues than other states, and I've... I've, uh, um, one of the reasons, obviously, we have a a large LDS population. And so, you know, with the LDS population and the uh, prohibition of the use of alcohol or substances, there's a lot of, uh, that's the one thing that lowers our substance abuse rate. And then people go, well, gosh, well, that's weird because all the Mormons, they actually have higher mental health issues. Well, one of the reasons that is, it's not that they have higher mental health issues. As I talked about earlier, there's that comorbidity of a lot of people just... Throughout the world, are dealing with mental health issues, sadness, depression, whatever, and if you're not using substances to deal with it, then you're actually having to deal with the depression more. And so, people are seeking help for depression either through medication or counseling. So, um, but if you're if you are using substances, then people usually aren't seeking counseling or medication for that because they're using alcohol or other drugs to deal with that um, that mental health issue. So yeah, I guess we, you know, I said at first is that we're pretty much the same, but the truth is with that, that research that came out a few years ago is that we do, have, we do have lower rates of substance abuse. It's not like dramatically lower, but it is lower. Yeah, yeah, I think that's yeah, the way I kinda answered that one. It would be interesting, like I said I don't have that information on my fingertips, but there's definitely research and comparisons on all of this. Um you know, on the gov- especially, you know, government websites. I can't um like SAMHSA, um Substance Abuse Mental Health Authority gov. It's just S A M uh S A M S H A gov and they have uh They'll have all those statistics and, and whatnot comparing state to state. Okay.
1: Um, what are ways you suggest people say no the first time, like some strategies?
0: Um, and I think we kind of covered that one as well in an earlier question, if you just want to copy those. Okay. Yeah. Um, how does
1: advertisement affect how many drugs?
0: Um, advertisements there's been a lot of a lot of studies and research on that and um, definitely when the message is, hey, do this um, and you'll feel better like with a lot of the alcohol or drug commercials because those are the only ones that we can actually um, do advertisements for for legal drugs right um, you know the the kind of the classic uh, cliche uh, beer commercial of A bunch of really fit guys drinking um, beer uh, with a lot of uh, scantily clad women clamoring all over them and having a great time partying, barbecuing, playing volleyball at the beach, whatever, that being portrayed as what fun is and beer is a part of that fun, that kind of gets associated. But obviously, if you look at most people drinking beer, you know... There's, some, you know, they got a beer belly and they're scratching their butt on the couch and, you know, they're eating a TV dinner. They're not just, you know, they don't have, you know, scantily clad women climbing all over them. And so there's a lot of, you know, misinformation. You're never going to see truth in advertising, right? You're not going to see, hey, drink a beer, and, um, and, uh, um, here's what happens if you drink and drive. This is what's going to happen. Um, the advertising be- can be quite misleading. Um, but there's also uh, there's a prevention approach where people are trying to uh, kind of do advertising in the other direction to get people's attitudes to change, and they found that rather than trying to advertise, don't do drugs, drugs are bad, drugs will hurt you, what they found is that if they advertise the positive, they get a better, they get a better impact at helping reduce drug use or substance use. One, one place where uh, drug use is a, and, and alcohol binging is a real problem is on college campuses. And so instead of trying to scare them into not using, what they did is they start using positive statistics. So instead of going, you know, one out of, you know, three out of five kids are, you know, or two out of five kids are, you know, getting drunk each weekend, they would report instead, three out of five college students drink responsibly or don't drink at all. And so it's kind of using that positive message of here's what's right with people versus here's what's wrong with people. People, I think, after a while, they get tired of hearing all the negative. This is how your life's going to get screwed up. As a working with a lot of teens who've um, been court ordered to counseling, they get tired of the message of drugs are bad, drugs are bad, drugs are bad, drugs are bad. You're going to go to you're going to go to jail. You're going to get addicted. You're going to go to hell. You're going to whatever's the issue is. And I tell them. I start with first is that you know the reality is if I've got 10 kids in a group that I'm teaching, only one out of 10 of you guys is going to become addicted to substances. The other nine of you are going to go through this phase and you'll move on and, and you'll maybe drink or use occasionally or you'll just stop using altogether and it'll just be a phase. I say, so I'm, I'm not going to sit here and tell you all the doom and gloom stories about how bad drugs are and how you guys are bad kids. What I am going to tell you is I'll tell you the truth. Most of you aren't going to be addicted, and that's good news. I'm concerned about the fact that one of you will, and we don't know which one that is because addiction works on, the, on a Russian roulette approach. Um, there are some things that kind of indicate how and why some will more than others, but the truth is we never know. And so the only guarantee to not get addicted is just to not use. So you can either play that game and hope you don't, but hoping isn't enough. The only way to guarantee you won't is is to not at all. And so when we start, not just with profession, not just with advertising on TV, but when we start, the point of advertising is to sell an idea. And so as I'm trying to sell an idea to a client or a group of kids, uh, whatnot, I want to give them uh, accurate information. And usually advertisements that only talk about how great beer is, they're not giving the truth. And uh, anti-drug campaigns, that only talk about how bad it is, they're not giving the truth to completely. They're only talking about how bad things are. So what we need to do if we want to have the most impact is give them the most accurate information, which is, it's not all bad, but there are some real serious problems and we need to be really clear about it. And if, you, if you're fooling yourself, you're probably gonna have a bigger problem than those who are really honest about what the pros and cons are of any substance use.
1: Okay.
0: What effects do drugs have on your social health? Um, social health as far as how we interact with other people. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think um, those, the, that question was answered in a, f- a couple of the other questions, just how it affects our, our social and emotional learning and how it affects the consequences it has in our lives. I think that's all answered in, in those questions. What do you mean?
1: Like, if you're a drug addict and they say it'll screw up your education and your family life, is it really as bad as they say or is it just, like, not as extreme?
0: Uh, And and the answer with that one, again, is that it depends because yes and no. Uh, There are... uh, What I've always told the kids I work with, when it comes to the dangers and harms of drugs and alcohol, most teenagers... Will downplay how serious it really is as a problem and they'll say it's not a problem at all. And most adults will overplay how serious the problem is and they'll go, You're going to ruin your life. Now, the truth is, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so for some people, it will totally screw up their lives as bad or as worse than what people say. For other people, it won't. For other people, it'll be just a phase they go through. They'll get over it, or they'll get some treatment, and they'll get their head back on straight, and they'll figure things out, and they'll do fine. And so, every case is very different. But because when it does get bad, um, it gets, it can, it can get so bad that um, is that those results we have to be very, we have to be very honest about to say that oh, just go ahead and use it's not going to be that big of a deal. People are overblowing it. It's like no, in some cases it's overblown but considering that there's no guarantee once you start using where it's going to end up the message is pretty clear it's safer and better just not to um... yeah sorry, okay. um, my
1: last question is what advice would you give that would help keep teams on track?
0: um... I would say I would say really really make up your own mind um, you know, you know, taking a stance of just don't use is a good stance, but educate yourself why you're taking that stance. Give yourself some knowledge, some facts, research why the, why the problems are there. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Um, there's misinformation from both adults and from youth. The misinformation from adults goes back to like with, let's talk about marijuana for a moment. Um, misinformation goes back to an old, uh, a film back in the 50s or something called Reefer Madness, this idea that smoking marijuana, you're going to go crazy and psychotic and get violent and all this type of stuff. That's clearly not the case. Um, And so if people have misinformation and they're trying to convince somebody, they're going to lose credibility. Uh, What teens will do is that they'll say it's not addictive at all, or it's only, well, maybe it's not physically addictive, it's a little psychologically addictive. And that's misinformation as well. There's plenty of research on how the brain gets accustomed to using um, marijuana and how it releases dopamine and how the brain wants more of that dopamine and that wanting that and seeking it out, that is addiction. That's a very much a physical addiction because the brain is a physical thing, and those chemicals are a physical thing. And so it's important for people to have accurate information. And so if they're going to say no and um, choose not to use, to be really um, really clear why, And the the reality is saying no isn't enough because there are a lot of people who are still going to use. Like the kids, when they'd come to me for treatment, I could just say don't use anymore and they could lie to me and say they're not going to use anymore. But I know and they know that they're probably still going to use. So what we talk about is how do we reduce the risk of their use, where to use, how to reduce the amount, how to find better ways of coping with uh, their problems so they're not just turning to substances to cope how to make more intelligent choices because I tell them it's not if you get busted. It's just when you get busted, you will get busted and you'll have consequences. Is it worth that price to you? Do you really know how much it's going to cost you with time or loss of driver's license or jail time or, or attorney expenses or fines or a community service? Most kids haven't thought that through. So I really want people just to get educated. That's not the best. The bottom line short answer to your question is get educated and look at both sides not just your side of it okay Okay. thank you you're welcome good luck with that anything else
1: Oh no i think that's
0: it okay well good luck with your project you're welcome okay thanks for listening remember to visit heavymentalhour.com to do three things get the songs books and other media reference in this podcast Two, download the great jams from this and other episodes. And three, to contact us to ask your questions. Give your ideas for upcoming podcasts, topics, and interviews. Give us feedback and visit our websites and Facebook pages. While you're at it, please like us on Facebook.com, Heavy Mental Hour, and Twitter at Heavy Mental Hour. Thanks. Peace out. Don't
1: give me no believe